Welcome, everybody, to Minded America. Our guest today is Tim Arnold. Tim is the Chief Operating Officer of Integra Resources, and he and I are chatting about all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, life in a mining town, economic benefits of mining, and educating the next workforce in the best sector in the world. Welcome, everybody, and uh, welcome to our special guest today, uh, Tim Arnold. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thanks for asking me to do this. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. And and you uh, came to join us through a mutual colleague with uh, George Byers. That's right. I've known George for a long time. Actually, my wife knows him for a longer time uh, through some of the work that she does for the natural resources industry. Oh, nice. So you've you've worked with George before. Yeah, yeah, we've known him a long time. Okay, excellent. So so for the benefit of people who do not know you, um, you've got a fabulous uh, background. Maybe just a, a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, I uh, I'm a mining engineer. Uh, went to the the great University of Idaho School of Mines, which no longer exists. Um, had no mining background. I just uh, was trying to find the the least expensive way to go to the university and get an engineering degree at the time. And the University of Idaho College of Mines was it. So went underground my first time in 1976 and absolutely loved the industry. So got my degree, um, planned on being in operations most of my life or most of my career, and um, got out of school in 1981 when uh, there, or 82, when there weren't an awful lot of mining jobs. So I actually worked as a miner for a couple of years out of school and, and uh, actually a few years going through school. Um, and then I started working at different uh, operating and engineering positions. Got about 40 years now in the industry. The last 15, I've been building and 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 developing mines. And pretty much the 25 before that has been just working at mine operations. I've been a general manager for 10 years at places like the Lucky Friday and Core Rochester and, and uh, some other really, really great mines. And in the last several years, I've been trying to develop mines. Uh, was there for building of the Kensington Mine in Alaska, and most recently working for uh, uh, Integra Resources. We're trying to develop the Delamar Mine outside of uh, Jordan Valley, Oregon, but the mines in Idaho. And I'm the currently the chief operating officer for uh, Integra. Um, I lived in uh, Coeur d'Alene, so oh. I. I know the area where you're working. It's um, very, um, I, I think, a, a wonderful place to, to work in, in uh, eastern Oregon. Uh, very supportive of the mining industry. Oh, absolutely. The people in Jordan Valley have been fantastic to work with. And we're redeveloping a, an old mine. So they, they've been there. They have people that, you know, a lot of them worked at the mine. Um, when we, as a matter of fact, when, when we got there, we had uh, probably at least a half a dozen employees that had 35 years at that mine, uh, and we're still working there. Wow. Now, you also used to work at Core, which was, uh, I lived in Coeur d'Alene when Core was uh, headquartered in Coeur d'Alene. Yep. I, uh, I worked at the uh, Rochester mine outside of Lovelock, Nevada, uh, yeah. for about three and a half years, and then uh, 
they recognized I had an awful lot of underground experience and they kind of did some shifting around of general managers and they sent me up to Kensington, which is out of Juneau, Alaska. So I got about eight years with CORE and uh, had a really, really uh, good time working with them. They've got great people. Matter of fact, I got a tour of Rochester yesterday and it was uh, just like just like being at, being in my old home. So I loved it. Nice, nice. Now, Kensington near Juno, I, uh, I here, here's, here's our always that we're connected. I used to live up in Whitehorse, Yukon and Faro. Okay. And, um, so, and, you know, I've been to Juno. Um, how do you get to Kensington from Juno? Either a boat or a helicopter. Um, there's, uh, there's no other way. It's about 45 miles North. It's on the mainland. Uh, and it's about 45 miles North, but as you know, there's no roads into, uh, Juno. Um, so if they were to build a road between Juneau and Haines, it would go by the mine. So it's uh, up, up, up in between Haines and, and Juneau. Yeah. And, and, you know, a fabulous part of the world, um, beautiful and resource rich. Um, I, I loved, I, I was up nor in, in the north about 25 years, actually, um, like headed to Coeur, uh, Coeur d'Alene after that. But well, can I go back to your experience at the Idaho School of Mines? Sure. Yeah. University of Idaho. Yeah, because I met the um, the president of the uh, uh, in in South Dakota of the university um, there. It's, it's one of the five. There's only five School of Mines left now in the country. Is that is that a correct statement? Do you think? No, no. There's uh, there's thirteen. Okay. Um, I'm right colleges of mines um many of them are very small but uh there's actually still 13 left wow okay i was wrong so uh, the idaho school of mines does not exist anymore no it doesn't it shut down about 2001 uh same same problem as all the rest of the schools are having it's a you, you have a lot of professors and not many students because we're just really struggling to attract uh young people into our industry mm -hmm. and so a lot of schools just have to look at it as a cost per student and the cost per student for mining, metallurgy, and sometimes even geologic engineering is just too high and they, they get rid of the schools. Wow. So how, how do we get more students? Because I, I, I think, you know, we're, we're in a fabulous industry and um, it, it's, it, it's, it's, a lot of it's you know filtered out into other countries, but we need more back home. And and how and I know this is a lot of the stuff that you've been doing in your career is really trying to help bring out more students and, and get really involved in the education programs. Yeah, I think you know it's it goes back to the universities really. You know, you got to make a commitment. And uh, some of them are doing really well. As a matter of fact, South Dakota, I think, is doing a great uh, a great job of trying to attract students. Arizona, um, I am very involved or have been very involved over the years with uh, the University of Nevada here, the Mackey School of Mines. And what it really takes is a lot of effort out in uh, high schools and honestly, middle schools. Um, there's two things you need to you need to go out to the schools where people are going to be attracted to that lifestyle. You know, the lifestyle of a mining mining engineer or metallurgical engineer is more rural based. Um, it's very hands on. You know, you got to you got if you you got to go out there and let these people know that if you want to sit in front of a computer all day 
and then go have a Starbucks in the morning and at lunch, this might not be the industry for you. But if you want to wear a lot of different hats, you want to get your hands dirty, you want to be able to be in the field and affect the changes and and uh, have a new thing come up every day, um, then this is a great kind of an industry for you. And that is attractive to a lot of young people today. But you know, the, the places we should be recruiting from are, you know, you can't ignore the large urban areas, but the realistically farm kids and, you know, kids that grow up having to help fix tractors and things like that. I mean, those are great people to try and bring into our industry. And, and, uh, um, and, and I, again, if, when I look at over the years at Mackey, the students that I've met, a lot of them are coming from urban areas and they're, they're, they're attracted to that type of lifestyle too. Um, so it's not just the farm kids or the rural kids, but it's just talking to the right people and being able to people to understand what our industry's like. And then the other part of it's just got to be we need to do a better job as, as an industry and in let in letting people know how important it is and that it still exists. I mean, there's a lot of people who think it's still a pick and shovel industry. It's it's it, it's it's completely different and and projects that went forward, you know, 50, 100 years ago were not even the same, the same, um, same industry. And I am, I'm a huge fan of uh, trying to do whatever I can, which is not much, uh, to really talk about why we need more mines in America. And, yeah. you know, cutting back on, on the imports that we're doing, because it's, um, it's given both of us a great life. And, oh yeah, and every you know, so many people we know. All my best friends are miners, and uh, we are the basis of the supply chain. It starts with us, and um, and I think it's I think we're getting more more press, uh, more notice. I think your average person now is starting to understand where maybe some of the stuff comes from, even if it's only lithium and batteries. At least they understand that mining's part of the the supply chain process, and. And I think we need to capitalize on that, but it, it's going to take a, a concerted effort. I, I've always been frustrated with our industry and not putting enough money towards uh, promoting ourselves. And uh, I think the universities really uh, struggle with being able to afford to get out the recruiters out there and, and bring people in and stuff like that. But if we're going to be successful, that's kind of efforts that it's going to take. Yeah, it, it really off topic, but one of the things, because I, I do agree with the point you just made that our industry doesn't uh, do enough uh, to promote ourselves. And I, and I understand a lot, of, a lot of companies, a lot of the industry groups, they have to work with government, they have to, you know, get along, but, but we uh, are not good promoters. We're, it, it, for the amount, and I, I went through um, U.S. geological surveys, I, I found their, um, mineral yearbooks i think they're called and um I, I went back into the 50s and the amount of uh jobs the amount of uh businesses tax revenue infrastructure i don't think people realize that get, take a simple town like like durango colorado or or silverton which has you know huge tourism everything we're enjoying came from mining None of this stuff was built for tourism operations. Well, that's that's exactly right, and and 
and, and you know, and we've got a very rich history. And to be honest, Lou, we've got a very disturbed history. You know what 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 our grand what our grandfathers did. Uh, this isn't their industry any longer. They didn't do anything illegal. It's just that we've learned so much and we've we've reacted and we've done better. And and for you know, as the country grew and we became more and more urban, less people recognized where they you know Durango was a large city in Colorado, one of the major cities that you know back in the fifties and and um, you know as we've become more urban, people just have we've just kind of lost uh, that knowledge. If you go to Canada, people in Canada recognize that timber and and mining are a very huge part of their economy, but it's also thirty million people. So, and it's a huge part of their economy. So they recognize it. We've just kind of gotten lost in the, in the masses. And we, and to be fair, certainly through the seventies and eighties, I think we stuck our head in the sand and say, if we don't say anything, maybe nobody will notice us. And (laughs) we're paying the price for that now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and education is a huge part of it. Mm I, I want to talk a little bit about your past experience with the, with SME. For, for the yeah. benefit of people that don't know, a little bit about SME and then your role there. Okay. Well, Society for Mining, Metallurgy, and Exploration. Um, we're uh, we're the largest um, largest uh, professional mining society in the world. Um, it's based out of Denver, Colorado. It's been around for uh, well, AIME just celebrated, I think, their 150th year. Um, and we are an offshoot from that. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's mining metallurgy, it's industrial, it's coal. Uh, now we've got a safety division. We've got, um, um, it's expanded over the years and, um, we, we have, uh, it's, it's a very professional society. It's not a lobbying society. It's uh, for professionals to get together, lots of operators, lots of exploration people. We incorporated uh, the Underground Construction uh, uh, Society a few years back. So now all the tunnelers and the the the, uh, the mole rats, I think they call themselves, they're all now part of our group. And um, the the biggest thing we do is have a, uh, a an annual convention, six to 7,000 people. And it's a lot of technical sessions. Uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of technical sessions. And so it's a great place to come and share knowledge and, and see what the uh, industry's doing, large floor. And, uh, but there's also so much more we do. We, we, we uh, do fundraising so that we um, uh, put a, a very major program together a few years back where what we realize is we need more professors. And we need to put more professors to in all of the universities. All the universities' uh, average age was in the 60s already. So uh, we're literally a multi-million dollar a year effort to uh, give scholarships to people getting their PhDs and then, then also getting them the um, help so that they can uh, get their uh, accreditations and things like that. And so I started working at, with SME Many years ago, local chapter um, secretary um, started working on the national level because I, when I'd go to the show, I didn't think the programming was very good. As I was an underground guy, and I'd go to all the underground talks, and they were boring. Uh, and somebody said, "Well, why don't you do something about that?" So I started getting involved on, 
on the national level. And then, uh, uh, you know, the, the problem with any volunteer organization, if you keep sticking your hand up and doing a good job, you, uh, you get advanced. And uh, in 2016, I was honored to be the president of SME. Uh, was really good time in my career where I could almost take the year off or at least a big chunk of the year. So spend an awful lot of time. You do a lot of traveling. You go to a lot of different uh, other national societies, went to South Africa for a while, um, meet with all of the other uh, countries, uh, professional in mining societies. You meet with all of the U.S. Uh, professional societies as well, you know, the double E's and the mechanicals and the civils and stuff like that. It was a great opportunity to uh, to share what mining means um, and also to just see what everybody else is doing out there. And it's uh, uh, it was uh, it was a great year. And the best part about being uh, the president of SME is when you get to be past president of SME because now <laughs> they don't ask much of me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, you and when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that uh, before you got into this career and into your education, you weren't a good student. I was not. Um, as a matter oh, of yeah. fact, <laughs> uh, I already told you I started school in 75 or 76 and I got out in 82. So anybody that can do the math realizes I, I wasn't a, all that good of a student. I did I did take a year off uh, to go work in the mines, but um, yeah, my senior year, my the head of my college came up to me and said, Tim, you know, you can't graduate with a 199 GPA. It's got to be over 2.0. This is your last semester. Are you going to make it? And I did. Uh, I even had a little buffer there, but uh, no, I was not a good student, um, but I the at one point they were going to boot me out of school out of the university because i was with poor grades and uh the only thing that saved me is that work i did in the summers and stuff like that uh the the head of my college talked with all of my employers and they said yeah we love him you know we'd like to have him back um i hope he gets his degree because you know he's a good worker he just might be a really poor student and that was the fact so yeah, it's uh, so you got to be, you got to, uh, um, you got to remember that when you're working with the students today. You know, not all the four the four O people aren't necessarily going to be the general managers. You know, the, the they're they're bright, they're very good at being, but some of those two point five GPA people will surprise you down the road too, and uh, you got to make sure that everyone's put in the right position. Every time I saw that same head of the college. Uh, the first question he'd walk up to me and the first question he'd ask is, are you a general manager yet? Because he mm -hmm. knew that's where I should have been. I should have been in operations. I had common sense and I worked hard. That was kind of my slot. Uh, not in, uh, I shouldn't teach or, you know, go into, into work for the government. Uh, I, I should be out there with the people in the field. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I get it. I get it. I, uh, I endured university in order to get out. That's yeah. probably a good way of putting it. Um, so your first job was underground? Uh, yeah, my first job, uh, both, uh, well, actually, my first 20 years uh, was underground. I worked underground as a summer student, and then I, uh, several times, uh, a couple summers, and then I took a year off to sink shaft. Um, that was a, actually kind of an almost co-op program. Uh, and then uh, when I got out of school, there weren't any jobs. So um, 
I uh, I went to work at a mine in New Mexico as a as a uh, electrician, a grunt electrician. You just pulled cable and you know whatever you needed to do. They taught me a lot, and then uh, went to work in a mine in Colorado um, as a laborer and worked my way to a contract miner's position, which is you know the cream of the crop when it comes to being a miner is when you when you're actually a contract miner. And still couldn't find any work in the United States as an engineer. So my wife and I picked up our bags and, and uh, immigrated to South Africa for four years. And there's where the first time I really got into what you would call a, a staff type position where we were, you were leading people and, and, uh, and uh, doing engineering, real engineering, and then stayed in the underground industry till... Gee, I guess uh, about 2000, 2001, um, just, I was an underground guy. Hmm. Loved it. So, so what is a drift miner? Um, so driving, a drift is a horizontal opening, uh, okay. basically. And if, uh, so when the, the mining I was doing was uh, a jack leg, uh, driving, uh, drilling holes with a jack leg, we uh, mucked the heading with a 12B overshot mucker, which is at museums anymore. Uh, very rarely do you see those used. It wasn't rubber tire, uh, no uh, type of drifting. And, and then you, you know, it was all rail. Um, and then uh, we were just developing new areas to go into. The actual mining method we were using was shrinkage stoping. And okay. uh, I worked in those, those stopes for a little while too. Uh, as a laborer more than anything else. It was a small mine, a uh, few, few hundred tons a day. I had a, a, a friend of mine who went on to become premier of the Yukon, and but he started his career as an underground miner. And he had more respect for the, and I'm going to get this wrong so you can correct me, because I want you to explain it a bit more. Jack Lake Miner? Is yeah. This right term? He, he said these... The, the people he worked with were so incredibly strong. What the, what they were moving, he said it was it, like 20 years later, he was still absolutely in awe of them. Yeah, the, so the jack leg that almost everybody used, certainly in the United States, was called a Gardner Denver 83. And it was an 83 because it was 83 pounds. Um, and, you know, it, you have to be very strong to learn how to use it. Once you've learned how to use it, you let the drill do the work. Um, so it, but you know, all the rest of the work that you have to do, I mean, standing rail, um, you know, I, I ended up getting carpal tunnel because I, we had a ditch down the right side that, uh, has a very colorful name and, uh, the, 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 the guys, the, the guys opposite weren't, uh, looking their holes down. So I had to chip it out with a, with a pick every day. Um, and ended up uh, getting a carpal tunnel just because because my forearms grew so fast. Basically, um, yeah, it's incredibly hard work, and it still is. You know, you know, those people at the mines earn their earn their pay. You know, even the guys that sit in a truck for twelve hours a day, that's sitting in a truck for twelve hours a day. You know, I mean, that's that's imagine getting in your car and driving twelve hours every day. Um, and so it's, it's all hard work, but I have an incredible respect for the hourly people in our industry and, uh, it is getting easier. We're using jumbos and we're using, uh, um, different things to rock bolt with, but it's still a, it's still a very difficult industry and you come out of, 
you come out of your shift tired. Uh, you really do. But um, we've also, it's a lot safer today than it was back in, in those days. And uh, we've, we've really made some incredible strides there. I was looking at the stats for safety. Uh, it, it's, it's incredible, the percentage of improvements in the industry. It oh. really is. I don't, yeah, think, we, I don't think people realize it. It's, 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 I think it was like 40% reduction in, in, in non-fatal accidents over a 15 year period, like something phenomenal. Yeah. In my career, when I started mining, uh, back in the mid seventies, um, the, in the United States, we were killing about 150 people a year. And, uh, the last several years we've been right at, uh, 16 to 18. So that's almost a hundred percent reduction or uh, it's a magnitude of order reduction, uh, in, uh, number of fatalities, 15, still too many. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've, we've really, really put some effort into that and, uh, and we've gotten much, much better. We, we, we've behavioral based safety is what they, what, what is the catch word for it, but it's making sure that everybody realizes there is no job out there that you need to do that would risk an injury. And once we got that clear, because I, I mean, I took risks all the time, you know, everybody did, you know, you just had to get the job done. So I went underground for my first time. The thing that I found the most fascinating that I still in, in my head is the, uh, the board with all the key tags. Yeah. Yeah. The tag board. Yeah, I'll let I'll let you explain that because I I to this day that's the, the thing that had the biggest memory for me. Really, so so what you do is uh, every person that goes underground has to tag in and tag out, and so there's a board with two sides to it. One says you're you if your tag's on the right side, it's, it means you're out of the mine. If your tag's on the left side, it, you're in the mine, and you also have to carry a tag on yourself on your person as you go underground and they're brass. And so you call it the brass board. Um, it's a, a, a little morbid, uh, but the reason that you do that is that if there's a major event underground and you have to get everybody out of the mine for like a fire or something like that, when you come out, you take your brass and you put it on the outside. And if there's uh, there's brass still left after you think you've evacuated the mine, you know those people are underground. And you need to go out and be able to find them. So it's incredibly important that you uh, religiously um, tag in and tag out at every shift. The reason you carry one on your body is if there's a fire and it's a very massive fire, you can identify that person because the brass won't melt. But you wouldn't be able to identify that person any other way. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a pure safety thing. But uh and if you don't tag out at an underground mine, a lot of mines, like I, I believe Cortez still does this. If you're on the brass board and you forgot to tag out, they will make you come back and tag yourself out. Well, you might be an hour and a half from work, but you still got to come back and do it yourself because nobody's going to do it for you. And, and that will make you remember to do it uh, the, all the time. Um, I... Uh... I was uncomfortable when I went underground my first time. Um, but, you know, once, once, I think once you're there, it, it's, it's a phenomenal experience. I There's just think it's completely in the earth. It's just, I, I don't know if it's, it, it, it's what it is, but there's something inside you that just 
it captivates you, I think. It, it, it either does or it doesn't. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that just can't work underground. And, and there's a lot of people that won't try because, again, they seem to think that it's, you know, you're going to be claustrophobic. I mean, this is this is a to me, most mines today are just big construction uh, construction sites that have walls and a ceiling. I mean, they're, they're the drifts are 20 feet wide and they're, you know, 18 feet high. Um, you're got big equipment running around. Um, but uh, you're, you know, when I got started, a lot of the mine, the mine I was working at is a contract miner, smaller drifts and stuff. But, you know, I never felt uh, claustrophobic. Uh, some people do. Um, and but the, it's it's also the humidity. They're always humid. Uh, sometimes they're hot. Sometimes they're cold. Um, you, you know, there's you can't touch anything that doesn't have dust on it. So just, get, you know, you you learn to eat all of your food through plastic bags because your hands are always dirty. Um, but it, it, I loved it. I mean, the first time I went underground, it was a hot mine. And uh, and I I was a grunt laborer. But, uh, you know, you either love it or you you don't. And we transitioned from surface to underground at Jarrett Canyon while I was working there and brought a lot of the open pit guys uh, in and said, look, this is your opportunity because we're going to run out of ore on the open pit. Would you like to trans transition into? And I think maybe about 40% of them couldn't, uh, but I think 60% of them or so did uh, eventually or went to work at another mine locally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I was very fortunate. I didn't. I didn't grow up in a mining community at all, so mining was totally new to me. And I ended up in in Faro, um, which is uh, was a, a former lead zinc mine up in uh, Kansas Yukon. I was gifted with having uh, the experience of living in a one hundred percent fully employed by the private sector community. And the benefits of, of, of a, a, a stable uh, community, the social problems were, were minimal. It was the favorite mm -hmm. posting for the RCMP. It was um, an incredible opportunity. And I don't think people understand that when they think about mining, that this is hugely important to our social well-being. Yeah, so it was a it was a company town, is what you're saying, right? It was a, a completely employed by the company. It was it was an actual community in the region, uh, they were like a municipality or you know small. It was 1,800 people, um, so they received some. They had a, a town council and stuff like that. But if you weren't working for the mine or for the grocery store or for for somebody related to it, there was no reason for you to be there. Mm, uh, I see. But, but the mine did something fabulous. Um, and it happened just as I arrived, was they changed their shift work to encourage more families. And so it had been like a six and threes. It was three, day, three days, three nights, three off. Mm -hmm. And um, But they changed it to four and four, and families flourished. It was, um, and I think that was a, a real pivotal point in my life, was realizing this these incredible people came from all over the place to to have this community. Yeah, you know, if you if you've got a mine in a small community, and we will at the Delamar, where you know, where Jordan Valley is 150 people, 
and we're going to have three, you know, 200 people working at the mine. So, um, you know, the, it, it, it's, you know, your, your mines are typically drug free because you're, you know, you're, you're, you're testing, uh, you catch people that, uh, are trying to cheat. Um, so many people, everyone knows first aid, a uh, huge percentage of the workforce is, uh, is either a first responder or an EMT. They're all got good training now. Um, I've always said, if you're ever going to get in a car accident, do it in a mining camp because the first person to you, to you is going to have at least first trade, first aid training. Um, and, you know, and, and it's hard work, but they, you know, they work hard, they play hard. You know, I've always said miners are house poor and toy rich. You know, they've got the the side by sides and the the big pickups and stuff, and they don't they don't uh, and they're outdoorsy people, and uh, you know they're real serious about their fun. Um, so yeah, I, I can you know a, a community that's dominated by miners can be a really really great community. Oh yeah. Oh no. So so tell me about what you're doing in in East Oregon. So we're actually in Idaho. Uh, the mine itself is in Southwest Idaho. Okay. Um, we right. are well, well on our way We're we've gotten a fabulous resource, uh, um, drilled out. Uh, we, we've got about 4 million ounces up there. Um, we put out a pre-feasibility study, um, I guess the March of 22. So about a year ago. Um, and, um, uh, the, the, it, it envisioned a, um, oxide heat leach, uh, operation, it's open pit, as well as a sulfide uh, plant uh, mill. Okay. Uh, the market, uh, it, 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 we used honest prices in, in that time in March of 2022. And of course, prices were out of sight for everything. And uh, the market didn't like our feasibility, pre-feasibility very much. So we kind of pivoted. And what we said, okay, we've got this fantastic heap leach. It's a it, it's easy to build. It's inexpensive. There's, or, well, it's not inexpensive, but you know, it's less capital than uh, building a large mill for these sulfide ores. So we're just going to put the sulfide on the on the back burner. It's not going anywhere, and uh, we're going to focus only on our heap leach. Build this mine, and right now we're in the process of do, fi finalizing more of the engineering, but we're also permitting, and of course, permitting is is something you can schedule, but you'll never, you know, you, you, you can't guarantee you're going to meet the schedule because you're at the whims of the permitting process. Uh, we will have a plan of operations out later this year, and we're hoping within a couple of years after that, getting a record of decision and going into operations uh, or going into construction. Um, like I said, it's a, it's a wonderful place. The community is hugely supportive. And um, the, the Delamar project is a very good project. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll start off with the heap leach, but someday, someday I'm sure there will be a mill there, but we'll let, the, uh, we'll let the, the cash from the heap leach help build that. We also just recently announced that uh, we're merging with another company called Millennial Precious Metals. And that's just, just hot off the presses. Nice. And um, they've, got two, they've got actually eight properties but uh, none of them are advanced as ours. So basically what we're doing is we're gonna, our flagship will be Delamar, we'll continue to advance the Delamar project. And then they've got two projects, uh, not very far from, from Reno, Nevada, that are advanced. Uh, one's probably two years behind us and the other one's probably another year or two behind that. 
So we'll be able to advance those projects. So we'll uh, be, be doing the same sort of work we've done over the last three years at Delamar on those projects while, while Delamar goes through that. The doldrums to the uh, to the investor world, which is the permitting time and the uh, development time, uh, but we'll definitely be uh, doing being able to advance those two projects, and then got lots of other exploration potential out there too. So this will make us a six seven million ounce company, and when we go into production, we'll be somewhere between 200 and 250,000 ounces a year, uh, which makes us a mid-tier mining company if we can, uh, if we can execute on, on our plans. Well, and you've got the, you've got the team, the proven team behind you at Integra. It's yeah. A, a huge, success, hugely successful people. So I have no, I have no doubt. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great team. And that's why this, this, uh, this merger with millennials, they've got some fantastic people, but, but they don't have many. And so this merger takes our team and allows us to be able to just move from project to project. If millennial had stayed on their own, they would have had to build their own team. And it's hard to do in this industry today. So that's why this merger uh, makes a lot of sense. We're we're talking about saving about $2 million a year in, uh, in G&A type costs just by, uh, just by making this merger. So, and it's, it's something the industry needs. There's just way too many single operation juniors out there right now. Um, and it's been, it has been received by the, the, by, uh, the market very well. Yeah, it, you're right. There's too many and, uh, too many one projects out yeah. there. Uh, congratulations on that. It's, um, it's definitely, as you say, needed in the industry. Yeah, it's, uh, it's and great team. I mean, we're I really like all the people we've met with Millennial. They're they're every every uh, every bit as uh, professional and qualified as a uh, as the Integra group, and we just fit together really well. Yeah, I I I, um, I, I congratulate you on that, and and look forward to following the story. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Yeah, this has been great. I really appreciate this. Yeah, I, I have only one question: the stuff, uh -huh. the stuffy, the stuffed ram's head on your wall. So it, that is that is the only sheep this sixty-six-year-old guy probably will ever get in his career. <laughs> I've been putting in for sheep hunts. I do a lot of hunting. I uh, okay. got a very nice elk last year, uh, um, and I just haven't been able to pull a sheep tag. And my daughter-in-law is a very obviously accomplished knitter. So that was a Christmas present I got a couple of years ago. So she knit she, she knit me a, a sheep head and I made sure I put it on on my wall so that everybody can see it. I got all sorts of little awards and things like that, but uh, I got my sheep head on my wall so everybody can see it in a Zoom call. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is the part where I shouldn't tell you that my daughter on her first hunting trip got a, a full curl. Oh, my God. Yeah. Really? Yeah, she was yeah. twenty. Years old. She was twenty years old. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just to get a tag at twenty makes me mad. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, uh, she, I'll yeah. keep. I'll keep putting in, and uh, and I. I mean, like I said, I, I, uh, I was able to to pull myself up a mountain and get a very nice elk next year. And if I get a sheep tag, I'll 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 die trying. That's for sure. I got. I'm real lucky. I've got some very good friends who are exceptionally good hunters. So. They help a lot. Nice. Well, I, I, I wish you great success. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for joining us. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Let's talk again. I want to keep following your story. Okay. That's good. Thanks. Thank you.